0: Coming in with Nystrom, Tonelli to Nystrom, he scores! Bob Nystrom
1: scores the goal, the Islanders win the Stanley Cup. He scores! Brock Nelson, his first National Hockey League goal! <laughs> Remote score! <laughs> and What is going on, guys? And welcome back to the Four Stripes on Ice podcast, your favorite podcast, the New York Islanders. My name is Carter, and we got Ryan here. Our third co-host, Danny, couldn't make today's show due to personal reasons, but, um, you know, we've all had very long semesters due to work in college, so we're looking to get back on the podcast grind full-time. We're looking to get more episodes out for you guys, so stay tuned for that, um, and Ryan, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. We got oh, yes. the Tampa Bay Lightning Series recap. We got the draft. We got free agency. And we even have some news about some trades. So we're going to get to that in the later portion of the episode. So be sure to stay tuned. But for now, Ryan, it's it's time to make the the dreaded episode that we've all looking uh, before. Um, so um, as, as you all know, the New York Islanders advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals <laughs> for the first time since 1993. And let me just say, it was a fun series for the most part, but I, I don't even know what to say. The Islanders dropped this one to the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games, and Ryan, after coming off of game seven against the Flyers, the Islanders shut out the Flyers 4 nothing. we all thought that they were going to put up, I don't know if they were necessarily going to win game one, because Tampa is a really solid team. But game number one, the Islanders got, I don't even know what to say about this one. They got beat in every aspect of the game. The final score was 8-2 to two in favor of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point, both with five points each in this one. Thomas Grice got pulled after allowing three goals on the first 10 shots of the game. Ryan, what did you see out of this game? And did you think the Islanders <laughs> looked as bad as the scoreboard showed? I want you to be completely and uh... 100% honest. Yeah, uh, watching,
0: looking, watching this game, I like. I'm trying, I'm trying to find the words. Like, it, it's hard to even put into words. Like, I feel like I'm traveling back in time. I feel like I'm going back in time to exactly when I started watching this game. And I just, I remember, I, I, I'm at a loss of words for game one. Really, this is not at all what I expected when I was when I watched it. When you come off of a huge win in game seven and shut out and shut out the opposing team and go to the conference finals for the first time in years. When you do that, you want to go into game one, you know, maybe, you know, you're not always going to win. You know, you maybe you want to go in with a win. but if you can't get a win, you want to go in putting up a hell of a fight. But when you go into game one and lose eight, two, that's not exactly very hopeful for everybody watching. That makes you look like a complete joke. So, I just remember uh, making jokes. I was on the phone with my friend watching. and I remember making jokes like, "Yeah, you know, we're gonna uh, you know, the second that uh, Tampa scores, like, you know, it's over. We, we lose the entire series." And then Braden Point had probably one of the nastiest goals of the entire playoffs. And are you I talking about just, the tip from Hedman? No, not the tip from Hedman. The the oh goal the first one up where he cut through the def- I forgot he cut through the defenseman right out in front of the net like it was the NHL yep. 21. And I remember
1: scored, what you're talking about. Like, that goal was sick. There, oh there's nothing was, you can do to defend that.
0: But it was just like, oh my god, this series is over. Like Brain Point just
1: absolutely destroyed the
0: entire team by himself. And I remember thinking after that, alright, I think the series is already over. Now that was mainly a joke, but at the same time it was like, oh boy. It's not something you want to see when you know when you're watching your hockey team. So yes, they come into game one with the, after a huge win. And one thing that kind of bothers me is that they only had one day to kind of, like, relax, pack everything up, and fly to Toronto. One thing that I do find a little ridiculous, sure, this may be a bit of bias, you can call it a bit of an excuse, but we had, like, no time to rest. We had nothing. We were just, like, get up and go. We just went through a resilient series, and now we're packing up, we're leaving, everybody out, everybody at the airport, let's go, let's go. Like, everybody's so sore, everyone's tired. I don't know why they would start game one so soon. And I remember talking about it with uh, one of my friends. I remember saying they really should have done game one, uh, I think, I believe, like on Wednesday. And Wednesday at that time was like days later, like a, like a few days later, because it would have gave the Islanders ample time to rest. It would have gave them some time to really, you know, see who they're going up against. Because you look at it from this perspective, Tampa had a, had nearly a week off going in, and they had the extra rest. They had time to easily sit back and kind of watch the Islanders and see how they play. And, you know, it's it's I want to say unfair, but at the same time, that's just how playoff hockey goes. That's that's just the way it goes. It, it sucks that it's like that. But that that's just the way it went. And, you know, we got our, our asses completely kicked in eight, you know, completely kicked eight, two. So, you know, it's only one game. You know, it's it when you when you when, at the end of the day, when you look at the scoreboard, you know, they could have lost three two, they could have lost eight uh, two, they could have lost ten thousand to two. Either way, the point is is that it's only game one. You have to try and get to the next one. But the thing with this game was that we did not look like the team we were in the first in the first series, uh, in the first two series, or I guess technically first three, going uh, against Florida. So it, it's weird when you look at that game because, or you look at you look at that game because it's like, how did we just crumble so easily? Was it we were too tired? Were Tampa just that good? I. It was just crazy, just the night and day difference between both teams. And I just remember watching it. I remember just sitting there, watching the game, and midway through, as, as the goals just kept piling on and we just had no chance, I literally shut off a hockey game to do my homework. That's how bad it was. It was that freaking bad. Like, we, we had no aggression. We, we had no offense. We couldn't stop them defensively. But the thing that bothered me throughout this entire series was that we had no aggression. We, had, we wouldn't throw the body. We wouldn't really try to get into fights. Like, nothing really happens. There, there was really nothing. Um, I could be wrong. If memory serves me right, I think there was a fight in this, in game one. I, I don't remember exactly. Um, but it's like, to me, when you're getting beat 8-2, you really need to – at this point, it's not about playing for the score. It's about playing just for your pride and just, like, you know, to show that, like, look, we're going to have to get gritty we're going to have to get tough. They sh- like, We should have just came out throwing the body by, by the third period, really. So, I mean, that was game one. At the end of the day, it's only one game in a playoff series. You know, it's going to bounce back. And then you go on to game two. So, uh, Carter, what did you see in game two? Now, game two, it was a 2-1 victory for Tampa. Uh, Kucherov had a game-winning goal with 8.8 seconds remaining in regulation. So, uh, what were your thoughts on that game? And, obviously... What were your emotions on that Kucherov goal to end the game with 8.8
1: left? Well, my thoughts and emotions were exactly the same pain. Uh, <laughs> I I thought the Islanders played so much better when you're talking about their structure, when you're talking about their team defense, which, um, you know, they're known for playing. And that's why, you know, first of all, that's why Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in the league, because he's gotten the Islanders to buy into this system. Um, And also the execution of this system is the reason why the Islanders are where they are. But that's a story for another time. I, I thought just in game one, it looked like the Islanders were lost after that first period, like Ryan mentioned before, right? Grice allows three goals in the first period of game one. And it looked like the Islanders just never really were able to regain their mojo. And they were they looked lost to me. They were making bad passes. Again, they weren't throwing the body like Ryan mentioned before. Game two was a lot different. They came out, they made a lot better decisions with the puck in my mind. Um, You know, they threw the body, they played Islander hockey. And in my mind, they played well enough to win that game. I thought the Islanders played a lot better in that game too. Um, The thing that sucks, it's just, it was one bad showing in the final 30 seconds of the game that cost the Islanders. What could have potentially been a series tying win. And I really don't want to get into this, but of all the players on the Tampa Bay Lightning to leave open with less than 10 seconds left, and don't get me wrong, the Lightning have a lot of skilled players. That's why they, first of all, that's why they won the President's Trophy last year. That's why they did so well in the bubble this year. But you leave the reigning Hart Trophy winner, well, he's not the reigning Hart Trophy winner anymore considering Dreisaitl took it this year, but again, that's not the point. You leave the reigning Hart Trophy winner, who put up nearly 130 points last season, open on the back door. Like really? Like okay. Again, I mean, if you leave anybody open on the back door, it's not it's not a good thing. But I I don't know. It was just a nice pass by McDonough to thread the needle over to Kucherov, and I I, I was at a loss for words after that game. It was heartbreaking to say the least. But after that. I mean, at least, you know, I didn't know it at the time. Um, but looking at game two, this was a very critical turning point in the series because, you know, going into game three now, right? Um, you know, to put it lightly, it was a must win for the Islanders, right? And so, Ryan, in a game that the Islanders could have potentially either had hope in the series, either being down two to one. Or having little to none left in the tank and being down 0 3. The Islanders come out, they win 5 3. And, you know, in a game that the Islanders eventually would lead 3 1, Tampa, you know, Tampa um, played very resilient in that one. They were able to tie it up. But Brock Nelson was able to win it for the Islanders with less than four minutes to go. And, you know, I want to get your take on not only that one goal by Brock Nelson, but. How did the Islanders win this game and how important was it for the Islanders to take this game and get back in the series?
0: This game was absolutely important because you don't want to go down 3-0. You never want to go down 3-0 in any series because it's always it makes things obviously incredibly harder uh you know for yourself. Now the Flyers, you know, they obviously kind of made a bit of a comeback there, and they, you know, they pushed us to game seven. So when you're when you're a hockey team, you never want to go down three on a series. So this game was an absolute must-win, in not only like the eyes of Islander fans, but I'm pretty sure in the eyes of a lot of NHL teams, because Tampa is too good. Tampa is too good to to allow to put them in a position where they can easily win in just one game. They were too good of a team. So for us to win this game, absolute necessity. So yeah, five three win. The New York Islanders led three and one. Tampa Bay ties it. Nelson wins it for the Islanders with under four minutes to go. This game was. It was a lot grittier. I just, I remember it was very, very good. It was, it was a good Islander game. You know, it, it was a must win. Uh, Let's see. So the Isles took the game and made it their own by forcing the Lightning to play Islander hockey. So after Adam Pellick absolutely sniped a beautiful shot. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Ma- that was, that was, I think that was the moment I officially joined the Pellick posse. I think I remember texting bathtub Jake. I'm like, you know what? F it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold. After that goal, I'm absolutely in.
1: That was I didn't beautiful. need no Adam Pellicola to convince me to join the Posse. Yeah, I've been in it since day one. Look, man,
0: <laughs> I have not been in it since day one because I used to be the biggest hater of him. I despised Adam Pellic so badly. You have no idea. I may have to talk about it for a later episode, but I hated Adam, Adam Pellic with a passion up until these past two seasons where he's completely turned around and he's become arguably our top defenseman. And I can't believe I'm saying that because if I would have told myself that about three, four years ago, Adam Powell could be our best defenseman. I don't think I would have ever believed it, and I think I would have stopped being an Islander fan. (laughs) So he absolutely snipes a beautiful shot, looking looking like a better shot than Kucherov out there. And somehow, Lightning managed to tie the game. And I started to have my doubts immediately. You know, I started immediately to think, okay, this game is over. Tampa's going to completely sweep us. There's no way we're going to win. We just blew a lead. You can't do that. It was just nothing but fear within me, like nothing but pure fear that this season is over. But the never-say-die mentality, Fort never lose. The Isles are notorious for just never giving up time and time again. I can count on both hands. The amount of times the Islanders just kept pushing and pushing and pushing until they eventually won. We're a blue-collar team. Anthony Bavillier made a beautiful cross-crease pass to Brock Nelson. I'll be honest. When I first saw it, I didn't even think the pass went through. I, I just I remember I remember it so well that the first like the first pass failed, the first shot failed, like something failed, and Beauvillier tried to get it back over, and I didn't even see it. I did not even see it go through. I honestly thought that it was blocked. That's how good the pass was. I thought the defense, uh, whatever defenseman was there, blocked it. And I remember, look, I remember I didn't even see the goal. I was too busy looking up at Bouvillier because that's where I thought the puck was. When all of a sudden I just heard he scores and I look and Nelson is throwing his arms up. I was like, oh, my God, we actually scored. It was that beautiful of a, of a pass. That looks like something out of an NHL game, you know, and Nelson gets the game winner. But the thing that got me really hyped up and the thing that got me a bit more invested into the series was uh, the empty net goal from Pajot. So the slashes by Nikita Kucherov and the and the hooking is was just absolute anger. Now, I try not to curse on the podcast, but the amount of rage I felt when Kucherov did that, all I can say was Kucherov looked like a complete and utter bitch in that moment. Absolutely. And that moment really fired me back up for the series and got me excited because I was like, all right. Now things are getting physical. Now things are getting rough. Pajot is immediately going at Kucherov. He isn't even celebrating. He's going right at Kucherov for what he did and it's causing a bit of a a little bit of a of a you know a little uh, tilly in the corner and it was it was awesome. To see Pajot do that was incredible. It, it makes me like this playoff series has sold me even harder on Pajot. I've always I liked him even back when he was on Ottawa. I remember watching his four-goal game years ago against the Rangers in the playoffs. I was like, "Damn, this guy's good." I am this this was just a moment that made me love Pajot even more. I love Pajot and his grittiness and his heart. Just the amount of just the, the amount of heart he brings to this team is incredible. And he is, he is like a textbook Islander if you ask me. Like when I when I think of like what it means to be an Islander, a lot of it has to do with personality and like you know the soul and like the heart. Pajot definitely has that. For him to go right at Kucherov after scoring an empty net goal because he was, he was being a little wuss who couldn't handle the fact that you know they lost. It was incredible, you know, and there's no reason. There was absolutely no reason for Kucherov to do that. There was none. If you're going to try and play the puck, fine. If you're going to try and go for the stick and get an accidental slash, fine. But when you're just whacking away like a lumberjack, you're just a dirty prick, like straight up. Like, there is no other way to it. you were just dirty. you were completely dirty in that moment, and it's just like there's no point. So – islanders take it five three it gets me a bit rejuvenated i think that we have a chance to come back and this was just this was our best game this is easily our best game we were throwing the body we were getting pucks on that we had the lead i really wish we would have held on to the lead but even in the face of adversity once again the islanders pulled through which seems to have been the story for these past few seasons so a great game definitely my fondest memory of this of this uh series you know if if i had to go back and watch one game like you know from this from a series, you know, I think it would definitely from uh this past playoff series. I definitely think it would be th- it would easily be this one. So great game. And now we jump on to game four. Now game four was four one. Uh four-one for Tampa. We end up coming on the short short end of this, you know, short end of the stick. Nelson scored for the Isles, and then they're four unanswered by Tampa Bay. So, Carter, what did you see out there for game four? And you know, I'd also love to get Danny's take. Oh. Um, Never mind. Uh Carter, you wanna go ahead and give your take.
1: Well, Ryan, one last thing before I wanna say before we move on to game four. I don't think uh don't quit your day job. Please don't go into comedy because that pun you made was just flat out awful. Uh one wow, thing I wanna you say just about
0: sandbag me there, on <laughs> wow.
1: I'm sorry, I had to. Look, I know it sucks, but you don't gotta sandbag me there,
0: Jesus Christ.
1: I'm sorry. It it was just the pun was just I don't know.
0: I just want to understand his take, bro.
1: When I guess you here. could say it was uh, fucking awful. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, no, okay. I, all right, Now you, I, all right, you made start. it worse. You made it worse. You just made it worse. Oh, um, oh, I'm was, sorry. Oh. I, oh, I wish we had, like, a car crash yeah, sound okay. effect, like, from the Opian Anthony show, and they had, like, someone say an awful joke. And they just hit the car crash sound effect. That would have been it right there. That would have been back to back car crashes. That was atrocious. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, don't worry, folks. I'm not looking into being a comedian anytime soon, so.
0: Let's just go right into the hockey. <laughs> we gotta
1: I, hockey. I think it might be better if we stick to hockey, but, you know. It's a lot
0: lo- funnier in my Xbox chats, I swear.
1: Well, we're lucky we're, they're not recording those like the PS4 chats, but you know what? Oh, I'd be arrested. We're going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to pay attention to that right now. This is a hockey podcast. If we wanted to make a video game podcast, we would, but anyway. Talking about game four. And I know that, uh, Ryan, you were mentioning before, Game 3, you had hope after they won uh, that third game, after Pajot hit the empty net. And I'm not going to lie, I had hope too. I thought the Islanders were going to come out in this one and maybe put out as good of an effort as they did in Game 3. And to start out, they did. I mean, they looked decent to start, but it was nothing too spectacular. Um, You know, I know Semyon Varlamov had to be... Uh, ready and alert, like, right off the bat. And Brock Nelson actually got the scoring started for the, the Islanders in this one. And it looked like the game was turning in favor of New York because Nelson broke the scoreless tie in the second period. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe we can do this. You know, I'm starting to get a little bit hyped. And then Blake Coleman comes down and ties it 15 seconds later. Okay, not a big deal. We've allowed goals, you know, Soon after we've scored in the past, it's no big deal. And then 12 seconds later, they take the lead on an Andre Palak goal. I remember just sitting there to myself and I'm thinking, what the hell just happened? Like, in the last 27 seconds, they just gave up two goals. We went from having the lead to being down in a game where we basically had to win to keep our season alive. And unfortunately, I mean, that proved to be the dagger for the Isles as, I mean, Tampa just began to play lockdown defense, and honestly, they didn't give the Islanders anything to work with. The Islanders struggled to score goals at first, but, you know, there aren't a ton of teams in the NHL that can play lockdown defense like the Islanders necessarily can. Unfortunately for us, Tampa Bay is one of those teams, and within the span of 27 seconds, it went from... The Islanders being hopeful and having a sense of, I don't even know if I would call it urgency, because they were playing like they were urgent, but at the same time they were playing, I don't even know how to describe it, conservatively, I guess you could call it. And then those 27 seconds went by and it just, poof, like it, it's gone. theres It reminds me of, uh, what's that one meme where it's like, uh, oh, the Islanders have the lead, and it's gone. Nope. Yeah, the South Park episode. Oh, yeah. oh, what well, I was gonna say South Park, but I didn't want to say it and then be like, like no, have I, it be wrong.
0: It was South Park. Yeah. Yeah, that game was definitely rough. I mean, it's not the, after. It's it's another one of those things where it's like after you win game three, like you win, like after a big win like that, you don't want to lose like four one. Like that's not, that's not the score you really imagine or want. But Tampa is just a good was just a good team. I remember the entire series. I was texting back and forth with my uncle and my dad, and we we're just talking about like Hedman. Like, Hedman is like absolutely insane. I think he definitely deserved the Conn Smythe this year. But like, Hedman was just insane this entire series. Like, I, I couldn't get over that. And we're definitely going to have to get into it uh, when it comes to game five. But he-, he was just a huge deciding factor for this entire series as well. And it was just, uh, I just kept thinking, wow, you know, we could have had him. <laughs> we could have had him, you know? <laughs> It was just, who? It, it's
1: brutal, to, you know. What did we draft that year again? I forget. Uh, some guy named
0: I don't know some guy who was named after a band, oh. Tavares or something. I don't know.
1: Who? Guy sounds uh. like he's overrated anyway. Oh. <laughs> but speaking of <laughs> Victor Hedman, of oh, yeah. he uh he happened to get on the score sheet here in game number five, and yep. this was a game that after game four the Islanders were down three one in the series. And it was – there wasn't any, you know, gray area about this game. It was win or go home. And, Ryan, the Islanders not only won this game, they won it in uh, – th- this was, like, probably one of the best games that I remember watching in recent memory. Jordan Eberly scores the double overtime winner to extend the Islanders' season. And, Ryan, when you look at this game in particular – you know, uh, again, we're obviously going to break down the full game here. Um, but first of all, it must have been nice for Jordan Everly to get back on the score sheet in this one. Finally, you know, get the monkey off the back. And, you know, it, it must have been huge for his confidence in particular to extend the Islanders season with a win like that. What did you see from the Islanders here in game number five? <laughs> Sorry, I had to really quickly. So game five... What am I boring you? Yeah. No. Yeah, you are. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, I forgive you. So game five, it was a. I'm just gonna. I guess the first thing I can say, we didn't deserve to win this game at all, and I'm sure you oh, no, agree with not me. Oh no, not at all. No, no, we did no. not. We did not deserve to win. this no, game. No, 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 no. This game was a complete reversal from the Flyers game, uh, where they ended up winning in overtime despite the fact we dominated and had so many chances. Game 5 was a complete reminder of that, and I remember sitting there watching it, and I remember just thinking, I remember thinking that throughout the entire period, like, every chance. It got to a point that I just stopped reacting, like, any close goal, every, like, shot that, like, went off the post, anything like that, I just sat and stared at the TV like a zombie, like, I had no reaction, other than maybe just going, wow, that's all that came out of me, just, wow, that was really close, like, every single shot attempt, just everything. So before we can get into overtime, I gotta go back to the beginning. So it was a very unique situation for the Islanders because it was the first time in the entirety, you know, of the playoffs that they were facing elimination. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, how did the Islanders face the adversity? Do they come back? So Pulak got the start, got the scoring started for the Islanders with a power play goal in the first with an absolute rocket. And then Tampa Bay would tie it up in the second with a goal from none other than Victor Hadman, who is just an absolute killer for us, I feel like, this entire series. Other than Braden Point. I do want to point out that I think every game Braden Point was out. We won. So, I don't know. Maybe this a little connection
1: there. I don't so,
0: know. I don't know. He, he's good. He's really good. And I wish he wasn't. So, it was a defensive stalemate. You know, as, a, as, as it was kind of as, Towards the end, it was a defensive stalemate. 1-1. You know, nothing really going on too much. You know, we couldn't really get any offense going. But then again, you know, Tampa couldn't really either. So, then Anders Lee. Wins a loose puck battle in overtime. So this overtime, I just remember both periods just being completely one-sided for Tampa Bay. It, it was completely one-sided, just you know, coming down the ice. The shot attempts were, I, I it were completely one-sided. I have to pull up the stats in a second, but, but the shot attempts for either team in this game were just like it showed. It showed that Tampa was just absolutely peppering us, and there was just. It was just such a such a a battle. It was just like, or not, I, I can't even say it was really a battle. It was just more so Varlamov would keep us alive. We'd get some small opportunity, then Tampa would come back the other way, light us up with shots and own us in, in possession time, and then we'd go back the other way, and then it would come back. It was just, it was very just like the same thing over and over again. And I just kept thinking like, how is no one scoring? Like, how is this even happening? So. Defensive stalemate, but then finally, of course, in true Islanders fashion, uh, this is how this is how we end up winning. So then, obviously, want a loose puck battle. They come down the other end in a two-on-one, and I'm thinking, oh boy, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the win. So and he throws it over to Jordan Everly, who has a nearly wide-open net, somewhat, because uh, I just watching that. I remember watching the clip back, like you know. Uh, Vasilevsky uh, just barely slid over. and all, he, I think he almost made the save, too. And Everly is able to put it in the back of the night. You know, the pass, the shot, the winner, and the best part of the entire series, the semi-slide! The legendary semi-slide into the crowd of Islanders who were mobbing Everly. And it, there, there was so much excitement after that goal, too. Now, I remember... I personally wasn't too excited until I saw the semi-slide. Then I was really excited. I wasn't too excited until that, until I saw the semi-slide, because I was like, all right, well, another game, I guess. I mean, maybe we can come back. Maybe we don't. I don't know. I was very, like, 50-50. Like, it it was one of those games where it's, I just feel like we didn't deserve to win. And it was nice that we did. But at the same time, it's like, did, like, was that, did that happen? Like, did we really just win that game? Like, it, it didn't feel like we should have. But I was, I gave, it gave us a little bit of hope, you know. The Islanders were definitely excited, abso- you know, absolutely excited, which was great to see. And then Varlamov sliding into the crowd was absolutely hilarious, and I'm so glad he did that. And, and then that was just kind of the end of Game Five, and it gave a little hope into Game Six. But uh, we all know how Game Six ended. So, well, Carter, we've reached the end of the line here on our on our wonderful uh, season here, our, our Corona Cup series. Or a Corona Cup season. Game 6, 2-1 Tampa in overtime. Anthony Sorelli picks up the overtime winner and the series clincher to send the Bolts to the cup final. Oh, boy. So, you want to talk about the pain that was game 6?
1: Do I want to talk about it? Not really. No, me neither. We are obligated to because this show is for you guys. So, game number 6. And, you know, you know, looking at it, at least before the game even started anyway, um, you know, this game was very similar to game five from an Islanders perspective. It was, again, no gray area. It was win or go home. And the Islanders would actually get on the board first yet again in this one. Devonte's able to put the Islanders on the board. And again, you know, much like in game five, Tampa was able to tie it up. And the game would go back and forth, really, with chances. I think it was a little more, um, I don't really want to call it biased in favor of the Lightning, but I noticed the Lightning had a lot more shots on goal than the Islanders do, um, you know, up until the end of regulation. And in overtime, Brock Nelson chips the puck off the boards, and he has a glorious chance on a shorthanded breakaway to end the game, and Vasilevsky bails him out. Fails his team out anyway. And then the moment that we've all been dreading, the midway point of overtime ticks away. Matt Barzell, who in the past, you know, maybe has been a little bit criticized for his lack of uh, effort on the defensive side. He loses his coverage on Anthony Sorelli, and Sorelli hits the post, and it banks off of Varlamov skating in. And in the blink of an eye, the magical run that saw the Islanders make it so close, yet so far, it was over. The Islanders would lose this series in six games. And before we move on to our next topic here, we just want to give you guys some final notes that we came up with about this series in particular. Um, and Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on this here. Uh I'm not really sure why this was the case, but why was every single loss that the Islanders had in this series absolutely heartbreaking? Because think about it, right? You have a blowout loss in Game 1. You have a late goal against in Game 2. You Mm -hmm. have a choked lead in Game 4. And you have an overtime loss in Game 6. Now, maybe it was just the fact that the Islanders had made it this far that, you know, none of us had ever really experienced what a conference final was like before. But nonetheless, these losses, they stung and it was it was just not not pretty. I think what just made it so awful was the fact
0: that we, we were filled with so much hope because this was the best season we've had since 1993, realistically. So when you go in to the playoffs, nearly missing it, we have to we definitely have to look at it from a regular season perspective. From a regular season perspective, we weren't making the playoffs. We were oh, no. we missed it. Not the Rangers were ahead of us. Uh, CBJ kept winning. Like we just we had no chance, and we were on like a seven-game losing streak, and it was just atrocious to watch because you're like, oh my god, we're gonna miss the like. How do you miss the playoffs? Like how do you get how after making a great trade at the deadline for Pajo How do you just not
1: make the playoffs? It was, well, realistically, it was it's not shocking. even that. How do you win ten straight games and go on a seventeen-game yes. point streak and then miss the playoffs? Yeah, that's exactly. even worse than trading for Pajo How
0: do you how do you just like? How do you how do you just, like, come out of the gate in, in the first half of the season looking like the best team in the NHL and then collapse at the very end and nobody even remembers that you were even that good? It was just – so you look at it from that perspective first. This whole uh, COVID Cup, like, saved our season, first of all. Like, that was the biggest part. It completely saved us. It gave us time. It gave us, you know, a break. It allowed us to rethink our game and kind of, like, figure out what we can do going into it. So that's the first thing. I think the first thing is that like the, like all the uh, like the factors that went into this being so heartbreaking. I think the first one is we, we shouldn't have even made the playoffs. But now here we are. And then you go through the Panthers. Now, obviously, the Panthers should be a cakewalk. They, they, we're, we're just the better team all around. They're not that good of a team. So there's the cakewalk. Then we play Washington. Now, Washington, they have a lot of playoff experience and they have a great team, but their core is aging and their time is literally up. They were also different.
1: playing through a lot of injuries. I know yes. Carlson was hurt. Um, Carlson
0: was out. I don't Backstrom think Baxton was, was
1: at 100% either after the lead he was hit. In for so game.
0: He was in the for the final game, I believe.
1: He was in for the final well, game if
0: they lost, and that was a. I
1: I know he was playing in the final game, but I don't think he was playing healthy is what I'm trying to say.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He wasn't 100%. No, I, I don't think he was either. Uh, Jeez. Oh, my God. I just – like, thinking about that, like, I remember, like, being – like, remembering where I was when – you know, Backstrom was even injured, and, like, everyone was talking about, Anders Lee, is he a dirty player? So, it was, like, it was very, like, oof. Like, got a weird hit of nostalgia there. Jeez.
1: So, I mean, just he, to put that whole thing to bed, you're not a dirty player because you make one bad hit. But, yeah, I, That wasn't I even that bad of
0: a hit. I still understand I still I mean, that it wasn't even that bad of a hit.
1: And, Washington fans, you're the last one who can even talk about that, considering what Tom Wilson Dale does Hunter. on a daily basis. And yeah, Dale, Hunter.
0: Dale, Hunter. Dale Hunter. And Dale Hunter. But, you, on, uh, you know what? boy, Turgeon.
1: We're not here to shit on the Capitals. We're here to talk about how the Islanders' playoff run was. So, yes. Ryan, I will let you continue sorry. with your statement. Yes. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. Thank you for steering me back in the direction. So, it's – like that, that loss – or, I'm sorry, the, uh, the win. So, the, so, then we go on to the Capitals. The Capitals, it's a – it's it's series that can go either way. We have such a historic past with them. You know, the last playoff series I remember against them was, you know, uh, our in quotations last season at Nassau. And it was just like there was a lot of a lot of like um, emotion going into it, and then to win in the way that we did, and to come out on top against this team uh, and look completely dominant, it's just it, it's it's like oh my god, like this team is good, like this team looks like they're for real, like it's it's almost like you question a bit, like was that a fluke or was that was that for real, like was that like a real series, like are we are we really that good? And then you go into the second series against the Flyers, and we look so strong in the beginning, and it looks like this team is just awesome and just like it can't be beat. And then you know you you, you know you, you let them force a Game Seven. And now, well, sure, it's not a great idea to force a Game Seven. To be quite fair, we dominated most of those games. It was just we couldn't get that one goal, that one elusive goal that we needed to set us ahead. So. For them to come out in Game Seven and just be like, "All right, let's put this away, let's 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 stop this madness, let's win right here." To win four nothing in the Game Seven and go on to the finals for the first time, Conference Finals for the first time in years, it's like, "Oh my God, this team has a chance." Because here's the thing: this was the first season that we've really had a chance at the Stanley Cup in a long right. time. Because if you ask me, if you ask me. A hockey team doesn't really have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Like they don't have like a real chance to win the Stanley Cup until they make the conference finals. That could be a cold take to most, but the reason I say that is because anything can happen in those first, in, like in any hockey round, right? But those first two rounds, you gotta get by those. When you get to the conference finals, I think that's when you realistically can think this team has a chance at winning the cup. Now, unless you say go on a four game, like a four game sweep in round one and two, or you know, you win in five in game one and two, and then it's like, okay, this team already has a chance. But when you get to the conference finals, that's when it really sinks in. I feel like, for me, maybe maybe I'm an island fan. Maybe it's because we haven't had a lot of conference final experience. We haven't we haven't been here before, so maybe I I could be completely wrong. But when you look at it, it's like it doesn't really set in until you really think, oh my God, like we're in the conference finals. We win, the series, we we go on to the finals, like that. That's it. Like we're we're there. It's like it's it's time. Like that's the moment to win. So. It's one of those things where it just – it made it worse because you look at how bad we lost in game one, and that really diminishes your hope. And then an 8.8-second goal in game two, that makes it feel worse because it's just like, oh, my god. Like that's – it's a blowout loss, and then you lose with just a little bit of sand left in that – left in the hourglass. And then, you know, you come back in game three, and it's like, all right, wait, this team can come back. They have a chance. Game four you choke the lead. And it's just and you watch and you just see the team kind of crumble before you and it 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 hurts to watch because you really thought they had a chance. And then you you go to game six. I don't think anybody wants to lose in game in an overtime. Like you don't want to lose in overtime. And I wants to lose in general, let alone alone an overtime. But an overtime goal hurts worse because it's unlike so unlike say like a third period in the third period or like a final period loss. You had 20 minutes to, you know, rack up a few goals, but overtime it's just one shot. You just need one shot to win. Regular period, like in a regular, like you know, regular 20 minute period, it, it you you don't need just one. Like you know, you could you need, you know, you might need two, you might need three. It doesn't, you don't know. But with overtime, it's do or die. That's why it's overtime. It's a, it is do or die. It's it's win and it's over, or a score and it's over. You know, and. It's just – it's one of those things where we made it so far. And I remember that, that, that goal, Anthony Sorelli goal, I just – I wasn't even phased by it. It was like, oh, wow, okay, season's over. Now, maybe it's just because I really thought our season was over by then, but it was just still we, – we still witnessed a legendary season. And one thing I do want to say here, uh, you know, it, it's, is that, like, this is – this was a complete success of a season. This was an amazing season. And, you know, we'll, we'll head back into it, I'd say, because uh, we do have a couple of notes here. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it a bit towards like the end of our notes, but it was just a very successful season. You know, I think that's why it hurts the most. You know. I like, agree with that 100%. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, oh. look at it this way: we lost to the Stanley Cup champions. Like we can't even be upset. No, about them. Like, we we lost to the Cup champs. Like, damn. And we pushed them to Game Six. We gave them like, uh, besides Dallas, we we technically gave them like the the hardest
1: series. We gave them all we can handle, man. Oh yeah. And, you know, one last thing that I personally want to get into before we move on to, um, you know, our next topic here is finally a big thank you is honestly in order for everyone behind the scenes making the NHL bubble as enjoyable as it was oh, to yeah. watch. I know personally for me, at least when the qualifying round started, it was amazing because I was just able to sit on the couch all day and just watch hockey really on an old day schedule and hopefully, you know, this was only a once in a lifetime experience, not just for fans, but for players as well. Um, But the NHL honestly set the bar for other leagues like the NBA and the MLB with their playoff bubbles. And, you know, they also did an amazing job at keeping the players, the coaches, the staff, you know, everybody involved with uh, the broadcasts, whether it's radio or television, they did a really good job at keeping everybody safe and healthy. And, um, you know, some of us might not like Gary Bettman as a person, but, I mean, the man did an amazing job with putting together this playoff bubble. And zero positive tests in nearly 10 weeks in either NHL bubble is definitely something to applaud, whether you like Gary Bettman or not. So, Ryan, do you have any final thoughts on the playoff run before we move on to our next topic?
0: So, absolutely. So, you know, one thing... It, it, definitely the thank you to everyone behind the scenes. The bubble was incredible. Like, we were able to experience hockey in its fullest. And the fact that, you know, everybody, you know, kind of bought in to the, uh, to the bubble, it was just like, it, it was great, you know. It's just, you know, I mean, the the, the NBA and the MLB, they, they did pretty poorly. They did really poorly on, like, you know, having a – now, to be fair, the MLB didn't really have much of a bubble, to be quite fair. But, I mean, you still look at, like, the cases that broke out, and you still look at what happened. And, like, you know, I think the most thing – you can mostly be disappointed in the NBA bubble because they had a bubble, and they still failed to, like, you know, maintain it. So, it, it was great to see. It's definitely great to see. So, definitely – this this of Season – I definitely got to leave it off with this. This Islander season was an absolute success no matter what anybody tells you. Now, I remember – I got into a bit of an argument with a Rangers fan earlier who is, you know, of course, obviously they're excited around the playoffs. If they weren't excited, I think that they're losing their minds. So, you know, and they, and they were trying to tell me how, like, you know, I would rather take the first overall pick. I'd rather this and that, but the thing that you have to look at it, you have to look at it from two perspectives. It's, it's, it's a matter of this team needs to was, this team had to win. The Islanders have to win. They have to make themselves look good. They have to be a success. They have to look, They have to, you know, prove that they're a real team because for years we've been disrespected and for years we've never, ever gotten our fair share. And very recently I found a great uh, mini rant from Howie Rose back uh, back in the 24, uh, I believe 2015 uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 2016, back in 2016, I believe it was, where he talked about uh, Kyle Loposo being snubbed from the uh, from the uh, USA Olympic team. That was 2014. Um, 2014. I remember that. Yeah, I was going I was, about to switch it. I was about to switch it up and say, no, wait, no, it was 2014. I, I was in the back of my mind. So yes, 2014. So he talked about in 2014. The quote was, I, I can't remember it word for word, but it was like, it, it, if you were, if you're a member of the New York Islanders, uh, or if you're, if you're a, uh, like I'm kind of like, you know, I gotta, this isn't word for word, but it's like he basically said that if you are an Islander, uh, you are gonna find yourself disrespected more. Than, any other, than anyone else in the National Hockey League because of where we've been for the last two decades. And, you know, he's obviously talking about Kyle Oposa being snubbed, but I, as a whole, I think it still stands today. And in order for us to gain our respect, in order for us to, for people to finally take us seriously, if they don't already, you have to keep winning. You know, you just, you have to win. You have to keep putting yourself in the, in the finals. You have to keep fighting to show how good you are. And one of the best insults that I always love to see from like non islander fans is that we're boring. And I honestly think that is the worst chirp I've ever heard for a team. You guys are boring. We win, don't we? Like I, I don't think we're that boring. I think we're pretty fun to watch. And I mean, I don't think we're mean, boring either. But maybe that's just boring.
1: because we're used to watching the games. Yeah. And
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, we're not. We're not Colorado. Like we're not like we don't have superstars like McDavid. We're not. We don't have like a great like all around team like you know uh, like Colorado. But, like, I I would take us being boring and winning than what we were, like, years ago with, like, Doug Waite, where we were, like, I guess I guess fun, in quotations, fun and losing.
1: like Well, that's- because in today's NHL, any team that's able to basically score at will is considered to be fun. Think yeah. of the teams that are fun to watch. You have the Avalanche, you have the Maple Leafs. I hate to admit it, but a lot of people think the Rangers are fun to watch. Those teams mm-hmm. in particular have the firepower to score four, five, six, seven goals a game. But what are their win totals?
0: But like, what would like be stopped? Like, that's the argument I have back. Okay, well, how do they do in the season?
1: Like, how, what are their win totals? Like, did they make no, a No, I, I completely I agree with you so, recently. Yeah, I, like, I, I would rather be boring and good than exciting and bad. That's just my opinion on it.
0: Yeah, because you look at, you look at those teams that you just mentioned, besides Colorado, because Colorado is a legitimately great team. I like Colorado a lot. You look at the two teams you mentioned, the Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sure, they're fun. But did they go on to the playoffs? No, they lost in the, in the play and they lost in the play-ins. So, are they really, is it really worth it being fun? Like, that's, it's just an awful statement. And I, I just advise everybody to just ignore that BS. That's complete BS. This team is great. And I mean, this season was a complete success no matter what way you cut it. And it was amazing watching this series, especially in the times we're in now, especially in the COVID times. It was incredible to be able to sit back and watch hockey. And to see your team succeed, and to have our best season in years. This season was a complete success, no matter what anyone tells you. And you know, it's just, it, it's 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 just incredible to watch this team win, and and, and I, it makes me really excited. Now, this off season, which we're about to get into, it's a little bit nerve wracking. It's a little nervous because Lou definitely works in silence, and I lost a bit of faith in him. But I do have a take from a friend, an outside friend from the Islanders, uh, who's actually an Avalanche fan, funny enough, who really. Kind of went in depth and told me his perspective on it, and is it just this was just a great season. All in all, I, I I know I keep repeating myself. It's just I can't express enough how great this was.
1: And well, Ryan, we're about yeah. <laughs> to get into the one part of the off season that wasn't nerve wracking for anybody. I don't think maybe for yep. the young kids who were in the stands, of course, or well, mm-hmm. obviously with um with coronavirus, they were at their houses, of course, but. The only nerve-wracking thing for these kids would be where they were going to get drafted this year. And the 2020 draft was exciting regardless. Um, You know, I mean, looking back at it now, the Islanders didn't hold a pick in either the first or second round of this year's draft. But again, I mean, the draft is always a big deal for any team regardless of where you pick. And that being said, Ryan and I are actually going to take a deep dive into what the Islanders got in this year's draft. So let's go ahead and get into it. So the Islanders' first pick came at 90th overall, and with that pick, they selected Alexander Lungkrantz. And if you don't know who that is, that's okay, because he plays in the SHL. He's a left winger, he's six foot one, 185, and he's a lefty. And he's actually, he's playing with men. The SHL is, for those of you who don't really follow hockey outside of the NHL, the SHL is basically the Swedish equivalent of the NHL. It's men who either, um, you know, they're close to getting drafted or it's former NHLers who still want to play professional hockey. And so, Ryan, a quick summary of his game here, right? Mm -hmm. I like Lundkranz as a pick because he plays simple. He doesn't try any of the flashy plays. He's also not afraid to go to the dirty areas, and he already has a solid defensive game. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, you know, we, we can name off all of the positive things for every single player that the Islanders picked up Mm -hmm. looking at this a few years down the road and we're going to do this for every player that the Islanders picked up yep do you see Lundkrantz playing one day in the NHL and if you do where do you see him slotting in
0: well absolutely I can definitely see him now again it's a long shot you never want to like you know you can't really perfectly project any prospect so but yes I can definitely see him playing in you know playing in the NHL you know, I think he, he can easily be a middle or bottom six player from his play style. Uh, you know, he has he has the skill. You know, he, he, he just from like kind of the summary alone, from the summary, from the play style, from like what we've heard and what we've seen. He, he almost sounds like if I had to relate him to an Islander, almost like a Pajot in a sense, you know. Now, while well, to me, Pajot is like a top to me. Pajot is a top six player, in my opinion. I think he's a second line, He's easily second line center. Um, but we put him on the third, I believe. You know, he, he bounces around a bit. I mean, he's supposed to be our third-line center, but he plays better than that. So, with Lundkranz, I definitely see him as, like, as almost, like, uh, possibly uh, like a Pajon in a sense, you know, in which he's he's not afraid to get into the dirty areas. He's not play, afraid to play defensively, but he still has, you know, the the stats to show it. With seven goals and three assists and 11 games played, it's incredible. And one thing I do want to bring up here is as of October 21st, I actually have some of the stats of some of, uh, some of these – uh Huh. Uh, some of our uh, prospects. Look at you turning
1: into the stat yes, master. Sir. Stat master, the right here. I like the to thank, student has uh, become the master, I see.
0: Yes, sir. I'd like to thank Everyday Isles, actually, for doing the uh, prospect check. And he actually, uh, or they actually pulled this up for me. I actually just saw it before we started podcasting. I'm like, ooh, this is going to be perfect. So, Alex Lungfrance, at this time on the, in the uh, N20 league, uh, his stats, he currently has 10 points in 11 games played. So, yes, I know we actually have that written down, but in his, in this other league, he is still seven goals and three assists and 10 points,
1: according to Everyday Isles. So... As a matter of fact, he actually had a hat trick recently. So... He did. Ooh. I mean, regardless of whether or not, you know, I mean, this is just my take on the draft. This is mm-hmm. my... This, uh, I can't talk. This might be a hot take for, um, you know, people looking at the draft, but this is just how I see it. You could go first overall. You could go 201st overall. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, And, you know, again, obviously, once we're getting into this, um, it's pretty clear that the first rounders obviously have more of an expectation to play in the NHL than maybe a, you know, a third or fourth round pick. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody has the same expectation. No draft prospect goes into, you know, whether it's their amateur hockey career, their professional hockey career. Nobody goes into it thinking I'm never going to play in the NHL. Every kid who gets drafted has the same thought process like, okay, I got drafted by an NHL team. Now it's time to work hard. It's time to prove to these people that I can play in the NHL and make an impact. And with Alex Mm -hmm. Lundkranz, I again, like Ryan said, I could see him being a middle or a bottom six player. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I like the way that he plays. I don't know if we mentioned this before, but he has a really solid defensive game. He has good defensive awareness. And I think that. I wouldn't say Lou necessarily picked him out because, you know, because of his strong defense, mm-hmm. but it certainly helps. It's certainly a quality that, you know, Barry Trotz wants to see in his players. And so if we're moving on to the next pick here, pick number 121, the Islanders pick up Alex Jeffries, left winger. He's six foot 194 pounds and he's a righty. This past season he played for the gunnery prep school in the USHL and in 32 games, he had 33 goals and 36 assists for a grand total of 69 points. Nice. And I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, again, another summary of this kid's game. He's able to burn defenders with his quick feet and speed. He's a very precise passer. He's got good hands, and he's got a very good and accurate shot and release. Ryan, going back to you for this one. Mm-hmm. Alex Jeffries... Um, you know, he might not play against the same competition that a guy like Alexander Lundkranz does. Mm-hmm. But could you see one day Alex Jeffries making the Islanders roster and making an impact?
0: Well, I think it's just at this point, it's now a matter of toss up and in, in like, you know, do they develop correctly? Now, you know, this guy, by you know, you know this guy just by his like, you know, right handed shot, six foot, 194, uh, precise passer able to burn defenders with his quick feet and speed. He reminds me of an Islander, uh, a current RFA Islander who's, uh, I believe, our top center on the team. We're just I know what you're about. Yeah. Michael Dalcole That's right. I, oh, my God. I was hoping you would guess it. Jesus. Oh, yeah. I right on the fucking money. Yes. <laughs> Michael Cole. So he sounds a lot like a certain player on the Islanders that we know very well. And it, it's one of those things where he can also be a top. It's now, Matt I like, Barzell, by
1: the way, if you couldn't put that together.
0: Okay, I don't think our fans are stupid, Carter. I, I don't think that the people listening are that dumb.
1: I would sure hope not, at least. I mean, we stand Michael like, Cole here. Don't get me wrong. No, DelCole for no, captain. We, no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. That's an awful it's joke. Ryan. No, He'll be the captain one day. No, all right, look. We
0: stand Komarov, not not Michael DelCole. That's been decided. I don't care what Danny says. Komarov is a beast.
1: I love Leo Komarov. Komarov for hard. Anyway, hard. I am sorry for interrupting you, Ryan. Please go it's ahead.
0: Fine. So those 69 points in the 32 games played, it... It can – I like that. I like that stat, uh, you know, playing especially playing for gunnery prep school. I mean, it's, it's a nice stat to have. Uh, I mean, to be fair, he was playing like college. He wasn't playing, say, like Alex Lundkrantz, who, you know, like you said, he had completely different competition. So while Lundkrantz is playing up against guys that are older than him, probably have more experience than him, Jeffries is playing against guys within his kind of range. So while I like those stats, I think at this point it's just kind of a watch and see kind of thing, you know. I think he could be a middle to bottom six forward. I mean, if he can continue to score goals, if he can develop well in Bridgeport, I would love to see him succeed. I would love to see him, you know, I would love to see him, you know, win Either, or like, you know, see him score, see him become, you know, something for us. I, I mean, it's a toss up. I definitely think he definitely can. Uh, I mean, I like the stats. I like the summary of his game. He, of course, he has a chance uh, at this time. I don't have any current stats for him because uh, his NCAA team, it's not going on right now. So I don't have any current stats, but I do have some for the rest. And then at the end, anybody we don't mention from draft picks, I will give a, uh, a check-in. And I, I do have to talk about Wallstrom because we just got some news on Wallstrom. And uh, I don't know if you heard about it, Carter. I just I recently got a text message from a friend about it. so. I actually did uh, hear about uh, it. So. Yes, we will. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, yeah. We'll definitely have to talk about it at the end there.
1: So, yeah. So would you like to take us into the 157th pick? 157? I would love to. So number 152 on the draft board, the New York Islanders pick up William DuFour, right winger. He's six foot three, 201 pounds, and again another righty. This past season, he actually split this season between Shakutami and Drummondville, both in the QMJHL, and this kid tore it up. 59 games played, he had 28 goals, 27 helpers for 56 points. And Ryan, you know, looking at this kid and how he plays, he's a big guy standing at six foot three. Not very easy to knock off the puck. One thing that I found to be interesting about his game is he has a very deceptive release on his shot. Um, And, you know, for those of you who may not understand what I mean by that is he's very good at disguising his release. So, you know, maybe it'll look like he's trying to, you know, slide the puck across to his teammate or, you know, he, he just he's good at throwing the goalie off. And that's how he's able to score as much as he does. Ryan, the same question I've asked you for the last two prospects. I don't know if I'm expecting this answer to be different or the exact same. William Dufour, a few years down the road, do you see this kid in the NHL? I wouldn't say...
0: The last one, again, this is another one of those things, again, prospects are toss-ups, but maybe not the next two to three years. I think, you know... His, I like, I do like his size though. I like what like when you were talking about, you know, 6'3, 201, he's already a bigger guy. And I like that a lot because I think that's something that the team really needs at this point. And, you know, I, I think he just, he, he's somebody you should definitely watch. He's someone you should definitely have an eye on. And I think he, I think he definitely has a chance. All of our prospects, of course, have a chance. Again, it's a matter of how he develops in the AHL. Um, he's nearly a point of game player. And, you know, being, uh, being good in the QMJHL. It's it's you know you like to see it especially for a prospect so I definitely think he can make it uh, at this time he does have stats here uh, at this time he currently has this may actually sway some people's opinion he has three assists and three points uh, with Drum Drummondville so that's definitely something you like to see so he's currently a
1: point a game just a little uh, disclaimer here the 56 points that I said were in the 2019-20 season. Yes, yes. The stats that Ryan said were from this current season. The QMJHL actually started recently. So um, for those of you who are getting confused that, you know, we were giving two different stat lines. Some of these players already started their new seasons, but we're just going off of the 2019-20 season. if they have stats available for the uh, 2020-2021 season, we will give them to you. But as of right now, we're just going off of the 19-20 stats. Yep. So, yeah, so currently...
0: That, yeah, like I said, currently in this 2020 season, as this video is being released, he currently has, or this podcast is currently being released, three assists in two games played for Drummondville. Definitely love to see it.
1: Well, Ryan, I think we all love to see that. And now we move on to pick number 183. And the Islanders, you know, again, I mean, um, they need defensemen. And they pick up Matthias Rajaniemi. Again, he's a defenseman. He's 6'4", 205, and he's a lefty. This past season, or in 2019-2020, rather, he played for the Pelicans U-20 team in the Junior A Liga. And his stats, I mean, for a defenseman, they're not awful. 39 games played, two goals, 15 assists for 17 points. And a quick summary of his game here. um, He actually saw an increase in his ice time with the Pelicans this season. And he quarterbacked their top power play unit, makes simple passes out of the zone. He's got a very heavy shot in his game. Now let me tell you right now, considering the kid's six foot 6'4", he is a tough customer to get into board battles with. I wouldn't want to get into a board battle with him, but that's just my opinion. Ryan, the past three prospects that we looked into for the Islanders, they were all forwards. Mm-hmm. Now you look at a defenseman. And yep. as we all know, the Islanders have a very deep blue line. So if you're looking at a guy like Matthias Rajaniemi, do you see him playing in the NHL anytime soon?
0: Not anytime soon. No, our blue line is way too stacked right now. We are currently making moves right now because Dobson is stepping up. Uh, we still have some, the 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 best Sebastian Aho and our defenseman in the AHL. So I don't see him making it anytime soon. No. Uh, again, I like his size. He's definitely a defensive defenseman, and I think he can easily fit into the system. If you know, if he has, if he is able to, you know quarterback a, a, a power play unit with simple passes if he has a heavy shot and if he's able to really work the boards as well as he as he says you know people say he say he uh, says he can it's definitely something that you like to see and I think you if you give him some time I can definitely see him making the roster under Barry Trotz's system assuming we you know re-sign Barry Trots in that time which we you know better um you know his contract's only like four years right five years that's how long the Barry Trots contract is
1: he got signed Sometimes. I believe it was four years yeah, and that was two years ago, so he's got two years left on his current deal, I believe.
0: Yeah, so if we, I mean, we have to bring back Trotz easily, there's no way we don't. So we bring him back, I can easily see him making it in a couple of years. I can see him making it in a few years. One thing that I like about the kid is that he actually was a uh, captain for the Pelicans, so it's good to see that he does have you know some leadership qualities within him, and it, it's it's like it, it makes you excited, you know, it definitely gets you excited. If he has the leadership, if he's able to buy into the system, he can easily develop really, really well. And I like that we were able to pick up a defensive defenseman. So at this time, he only has – at this time in 2020, uh, he only has five games played. He has a total of 14 14 minutes and 20 seconds time on ice per game. And he currently has – zero points and his uh, plus minus is neutral it's it's a zero so far so he's a defensive defenseman so i'm not expecting him to have a lot of points so this is a perfectly fine stat i'm perfectly fine with that stat um it's you know i i really i'm gonna be excited to actually watch him i feel like we did pretty good in this draft uh you know all things considering when you look at who we picked up and their potential
1: well that being said ryan we actually have one more pick to get into here Pick two fourteen. This was the last pick that the Islanders had in the 2020 oh, yeah. draft, and we've seen them pick forwards, we've seen them pick a defenseman, and now they actually go for a goaltender. Henrik Tikkonen, again, he's a goaltender. He's six foot eight, and he's 201 pounds. Uh, he catches with his right hand. Sorry, with his left hand. Uh, this past season, he played for the IPK in the Mestis league. His stats for this season. He's three and one with a 2.51 goals against average and an 891 save percentage. So pretty decent numbers overall. A quick summary of his game. This guy is absolutely massive. He's six foot eight. And you know, the fact that he's that tall, he can utilize his height to see around player screens. Um, From what I see in his game anyway, there's really no glaring weaknesses there. I mean, his blocker side, I think could use a little bit of work, but as of right now, I think he's a pretty decent player. Um, Ryan, again, I'm not asking you anything that you already, you know, like you're already uh, accustomed to here. When you look at Henrik Mm Tikanen, next, I don't know if I'm talking about next season, most likely not for next season anyway. Talk about a few years down the road. Does Henrik Tikanen play in the NHL at all? No, not in the next couple of years. I
0: really don't see him cracking the roster for a while now. I think he's still. it's another of those things where he has a lot of potential, and you know, at six eight and two hundred one, that's that's something you kind of like to see in a goaltender. Because like you know, you look at guys like Ben Bishop, uh, who, and Ben Bishop, I believe, is uh six seven. I'm gonna do a quick fact yeah, check Yeah, he is here. six 6'7". Yep, six foot seven. So he has the size. Like size as a goaltender is huge because not only does he have the like the wingspan to like reach out and make saves, but he takes up most of the net. And if he gets the chance to work with Mitch Korn and uh, Pierre Greco, the ceiling could be incredibly high for him. Now, we just got Sororkin. Uh, we still have Varlamov locked up for three years. So, Tikkanen, I, I can't say he comes in just
1: yet. I
0: can see him playing
1: in either the AHL or maybe the ECHL.
0: I can see him in the AHL 100%, you know, and I would love, I would hope he gets the chance to work with Mitch and Pierre. And, you know, he could easily turn into something. And one thing I do want to bring up is you don't want to write this guy off just yet. Some of the best goalies of this current era have seemed to come around with the later picks. And one that I want to bring up is another goaltender named Henrik, who was drafted in the seventh round for a certain New York team in the city. So I think it would be great to see, you know, the real King, Hen- King Henrik come and take his throne. And well, it's about oh, a long shot, oh, that would be great. <laughs> the, the the real King Henrik stepping up into New York. That would be beautiful. So I wouldn't write him off just yet. Uh, you know, it definitely has to I like the fact, you know, his height, he can get around screens, uh, his blocker side, you know, he probably apparently needs some work. But if we put him with Mitch Korn, I think he could be absolutely sick. Like this, I think this is going to be a good pick. I hope it is. You know, you hope you want to hear some good news out of, out of him But I think you don't want to write him off. Give it a couple years. Let's come back and ask me that question in about two, three years, and I may have a better answer. But I like it. I think it's a good pick, and I'm excited to see you
1: know if he makes it into the AHL. I hope he does. Well, Ryan, I think it's I think it's interesting to see what we both think about those draft prospects, and I think it's going to be even funnier to come back to this in a few years when at least one of these players actually makes an impact in the NHL, and we look stupid for saying they won't. Oh yes. That's going to be the best part of this whole thing. But anyway, we have one last thing to get into here. Always, and before, we,
0: before we get to the trades, I did want to give the final oh, check-in the Wallstrom to some of the other news. prospects. Yes, not just Wallstrom, though. Uh, I'll, come, I'll leave Wallstrom for last because it's it's kind of some scary news uh, if you haven't already heard. So Some of the other prospects to give a look at. Uh, currently, uh, Robin Salo, uh, a uh, defensive prospect, has four points in eight games with 24 minutes time on ice. Uh, Ruslan Ishikov, Currently has five points in five games. Otto Koivola with uh, uh, one goal, one point in three games. Uh, we also have, uh, uh, and finally we have from the KHL, Anatoly uh, Golishev in the KHL. He currently has 10 points in 15 games played. So those are some of the prospects to definitely uh, look into. And then we have Oliver Wallstrom. So well, Oliver Wallstrom uh, was putting up four points in five games played, two goals, two assists. But very, very recently, I got sent the video. Uh, he I think it recently was today, if I'm not suffered. mistaken. Right? Yes, it was just just a couple hours ago at 4.20 4 p.m. This is around the time it occurred just about an hour ago. Um, there was a horrible collision into the boards for Oliver Wallstrom. Uh, from what I heard, uh, it, it, so it could be a bad head injury, obviously, but from what one of my friends texted me, he was able to get up and he was able to walk off the or at least skate off the ice which is a good sign, but it's still scary as an Islander fan, considering Wallstrom has a very real chance at making the roster in like a year or two. So, you know, definitely very scary news for Islander fans. I hope Wallstrom is okay. I really, really hope he is. Not just for, like, obviously, uh, you know, for our prospect's sakes and for our our career and for our seasons, but obviously for his health, because you don't want to see a young prospect's career end really early. It's it's not something you want to see. And I hope I hope this injury doesn't turn into like a string of injuries that would just absolutely ruin just like my, uh, I guess, next couple seasons until we get the next guy, you know. So I hope he's all right. But that's, that's the news to come out of Oliver Wallstrom and some of the other prospects around the league.
1: You Prospect have any Master on Ryan Dunn, everybody.
0: Prospect Master Ryan Dunn. Do you have any uh, takes or anything on it, or is it just, you know? Eh?
1: Personally, I, I really hope that Wallstrom is okay. Um, I mean, I know you were saying that you think he could make the team in maybe another year or two. I would argue that, um, you know, if depending on who they trade, I know the Islanders are talking about trading um at least one of their bottom six forwards, but we'll get into that in the next – Uh, the next topic here. I think he could make a run for the, for a permanent spot on the team as early as next year. I really like the way that he played. Um, You know, he, uh, he played earlier on in the season and, you know, maybe he didn't, he didn't score as much as he would have liked to. Um, But, you know, you just got to give the kid time. He's what, 19, 20 years old right now. So, you you know, you really just got to give him time to develop. You got to give him time to coming to his own as a hockey player. I think Wallstrom will be a really, really good player for the Islanders in the future. And I think him and Matt Barzell could tear up the league for years to come. But again, thoughts and prayers out to Oliver Wallstrom as of right now. And we're going to get into our final topic of this episode here. Anyway, Um, you know, this kind of ties into the draft as, you know, we have a lot of different things going on in the off season. Right, Obviously, after the draft and you know heading into the uh, free agency period, I think the big focus here, and Ryan, I think you can pretty much agree with me on this one, uh, for the Islanders at least, was on their three RFAs. You have Barzell, you have Ryan Pulak, you have Devontae's. And I think the expectation, or the, not the expectation, but the big question mark anyway, is... Um, it was how the Islanders were going to re-sign all three of them based on their current cap crunch. And, you know, trade rumors began working their way around. Um, and I never really thought anything of it considering, you know, Lou likes to keep things kind of hush, hush, you know, he doesn't really like anything getting out. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Lou just pulls the trigger. The Islanders traded Devontae's to the Colorado avalanche in exchange <sighs> for two second round picks. A second round pick in 2021, and a second-round pick in 2022. And, Ryan, I know you were talking about, um, before we even started recording anyway, I know that uh, you have a friend who is a big Colorado Avalanche fan. Lives in Colorado, yep. And he was talking about the trade, not just from an Avalanche standpoint, but from an Islander standpoint as well. Yep. Um, And before, you know, you, you can bring his opinion on if you want to. Um, but as of right now, I'm really focused on my personal opinion. <laughs> how, yeah. How, how do you yeah. think this trade kind of works out from an Islander standpoint? So do you think this is the right move?
0: Uh, well, that's the thing. Both yes and no. It, that's where it's kind of a weird thing to get into because I really, really liked Devontae a lot. He was one of my favorite defensemen on the Islanders. He was arguably one of our best in terms of scoring. He was one of the best. And this wasn't exactly the trade I expected Lou to make, but when you look at it from the standpoint of just cap space and just, like, you know, what it was, it's it's weird. Like, I'm not even really sure where to start because there's a few factors here. There's the coaching factor. There's the, uh, you know, like, you know, Lou and like Trotz working together on why the trade was made in the first place there's you know the the uh I guess like the the cap space standpoint on just could have probably asked for too much money and they had to do what they had to do to get rid of the trade so for me personally it hurts it hurts a lot and uh my friend from Colorado uh, he, I he I'll go into him a little bit when uh when I get into his like his take on it because it was a very good take and I I kind of trust him with his take uh because he actually played for the juniors he was actually you know he was a defenseman in, in juniors and you know uh so and he he knows the game very well and you know when you when you talk to somebody who knows the game very well and you know has been at like a high level you can kind of take it a bit more seriously if you ask me you know so you know if if you play you your opinion is kind of a bit i think a bit more respected than just a regular fan but you know it really depends um so it it depends though you know obviously not everyone's take is great so i you know it, this just wasn't the trade that I exactly stuck on. So from my perspective, it, it hurts me a lot. I didn't want to see Taze go. I liked Taze a lot. He was one of my favorite defensemen. I loved watching him. Uh, I, I mean, he, he made his mistakes, of course. Anybody will make their mistakes, but I just he was just such a good defenseman for us that, that for Taze to just kind of just be basically yeeted off the island for two second round picks, it came out of nowhere. I think that's the thing that stings the most, is that we didn't see this coming. And you know, one thing that I definitely have to talk about is like is how Lou works in silence. And I forgot who um what the what the article was. I forgot who stated it. It, it was um a legitimate uh, a uh, a media guy. I'm not sure who. I saw the post a while ago. He was talking about uh, how when Lou first got the job and he was heading over to I forgot what job he took. He's going over to Sportsnet. He was going the, the reporter was going over to Sportsnet. And he had a brief chat with Lou when he got hired, just about, like, family and stuff. And the reporter asked Lou, uh, you know, you're not going to talk about your hockey team? And Lou straight up said, I don't talk to the media. So it, it's one of those things where it comes out of nowhere because of how Lou works in complete silence. And, you know, the, the one of the things I want to bring up is the pros and cons of, of Lou Lamorello. You know, like, I, I want to have faith in him. So this trade, it, it at first made me lose a lot of faith in him as a general manager. But when I talked to my friend about it from Colorado, he, he kind of gave me better insight on it. Like, all right, I, I think I kind of get what he's doing now. And I think it makes sense. So Lou plays a long game. He is a long game general manager. Um, and one of the things that, you know, and he's very old fashioned. So one of the biggest thing is, is that he, he, he works in silence. He doesn't really talk to the media. He doesn't really let things slip out. And that's good and bad, at least to me. It's good because we don't get false hope. Uh, we don't. Like, like, hang on and, like, you know, keep – and it doesn't give us a false hope of, like, you know. So say if, if you were pursuing Mike Hoffman and, like, and, and the word broke out, every Islander fan in the streets would be saying, we're getting Mike Hoffman, we're getting Mike Hoffman, maybe a bit of me included, even though I don't really want Hoffman that much. But at this point, I really want him because all of our free agents are off the board. So he – you know, Lou works in silence, so he doesn't really talk to the media. He doesn't let things slip out. He keeps everything, like, within a tight knit. And that's good because then we don't get false hope and it allows him to kind of work in silence and it keeps us like, a, like you know, uh, not really to forget about it, but it keeps it keeps it in the back of our mind rather than you know, like, you know, constantly being worried over a move or a trade. While I think the con of that is that because of how quiet it is, it kind of makes Islander fans afraid. And I've seen it firsthand in a lot of our fan like a lot of my friends and myself, how I get afraid when things are so silent because I think, oh, my God, everything's falling apart. When I... When when, you know, when we couldn't get Barzell signed, you know, or like when all of our free agents are still up in the air, it makes me it makes me afraid. Like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, like oh, nothing's being done. Lou's just going to let all these guys walk. Oh, my God, like it's the end of the world. And in actuality, it's just he's working in complete silence. He likes to keep things under under wraps. And like you said, and then he pulls this trade out of nowhere. And it's shocking. But it, it was it was kind of a necessity when you really look at it. So one of the things that uh, my friend from Colorado brought up is his key takes. I'll give the key takes, okay? I can't say word for word what he said, is that Lou plays the long game. He is a coach's general manager, and he is always thinking about the future rather than the now. So those were, like, the big points that he had. And, you know, one of the things he talked about during this trade was that this trade works out for both, for both sides completely. This is not a one-sided trade like most people believe. And he's a Colorado Avalanche fan. You can say, oh, well, there's bias. He had zero bias in this team. He's like, no, I like Devontae's, but those two picks are, like, great for the Islanders. Because, although, because on the Islanders' end, if he goes into arbitration and asks for too much money, then how are we going to sign Pulak and Barzell? You know, then that's where the issue comes into play. So... It, it, it's it, he goes into arbitration. We don't have the cap space already to like you know sign most of our players. So when Tays, you know, when with Tays gone, not only does he go to a good team that will definitely utilize him, and not only does that help Colorado because they're getting a great offensive defenseman to work on their work for their blue line, they they give us two sweeteners to help with uh, help with trades. So they get Tays. What we get is help in dumping our cap and signing our our players. So he is a coach's GM, like my friend stated, and I definitely agree with that. And I think one thing that always kinda like, I always kind of noticed uh, was the game against Washington that we blew at home, where Devontae's did the, uh, the uh, cruzettes off bird celly. Trotz did not like that. He was very upset by that, and it clearly showed. Because after every single goal Devontae's ever got, he showed no emotion. None. Tevantes would score, and it would be like he didn't do anything at all. And it's almost as if his like, as if like Tate like uh Trot said something to him that really just kind of like I don't want to say scared him, but kind of just made him like I guess like say like there's no, I can't celebrate anymore like there's nothing I can do like I don't know what 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 went down I don't think we'll ever know, but it's just one of those things where he just he never looked excited anymore and maybe that and I I feel like that could have been a potential domino effect into him getting traded in the first place because. Me personally, I still, I still don't think Noah Dobson is NHL ready. I really don't think he's ready for the NHL. I, I still think he needs one more year in the AHL before he's ready to really get into the thick of it. But if, if Trotz thinks that Dobson is ready, then we have to go with him on that. Because Trotz is an elite coach. He is arguably the best coach in the league. So you kind of have to take his word and say, okay, I guess if he thinks Dobson is ready and he can step up to the plate, then let's see it. So I guess getting rid of Taze was the option they had. And we have a deep blue line core. Uh, we have a Yeah, we have a deep defensive core. So as much as I hate getting rid of Taze, at the end of the day, it was kind of a necessity in case he, had, he gets too much money for arbitration. And it, it could have been that he just didn't really, Trotz just didn't really want him on the team anymore. That's a possibility. I'd say question mark and don't quote me on that because I don't want to like put, put words or thoughts in anyone's head on what Trotz thinks because I'm not Barry Trotz. I don't know him personally. But it's just one of those things where it's, it's it was a necessity and I guess it was just the right move at the end of the day. When you really think about it, we can take those two second round picks and we can use them for trading. Um, we could try and get rid of Boychuk or Letty's contract though. Apparently we're not getting rid of Letty. We're getting rid of Boychuk makes more sense, but that's harder to move. And you know, it, it, it was definitely a shocking trade to me. So, I mean, Carter, what is your take on this taste trade? As shocking as it was, I, to me, I feel like it was a necessity.
1: Well, Ryan, I don't know if I would describe it as a necessity, um, personally, I mean, I might be in the minority here when I say this, but I wasn't a big fan of Devontae's. I didn't like the way that he played. Um, I, I feel like, I mean, you, you know, this is going to sound stupid because he was one of the best scoring defensemen that we had. Um, mm. I just feel like he was kind of careless in his own end. And I felt like, y- you know, maybe he, I mean, granted, you know, he has a lot more skill offensively than maybe he does defensively. But, you know, looking at that, I mean, like you said before, you know, Barry Trotz is a very defensive minded coach. He's very, you know, um, defense comes first. Everything else comes after. And I don't know if it was I don't know if I would mark down the celly that he had against the Capitals as, you know, the breaking point. Um, I mean, uh, there was a lot of other games that, um, you know, that happened after that that maybe Barry Trotz saw something that we didn't. Um, But here's my take on it. I have this trade stemming from three reasons in in particular. Number one, the Islanders didn't know what Devontae's would be awarded in arbitration. So for Mm -hmm. those of you who don't know what arbitration is, it's basically a third party that comes in. um, It's a neutral third party, and they determine how much money the RFA gets by, you know, like they basically – assemble their new contract together and you know maybe the islanders weren't sure what Devontae would get in arbitration and maybe that's why lula amarillo wanted to move him and get assets for him and in case the uh, um sorry in case the islanders couldn't re-sign him number two and you know this kind of stems off of what you said before maybe the islanders were impressed with the way that noah dobson played in the regular season and the playoffs Personally, I really like the way that Dobson played in game number six when he, um, you know, when he drew into the lineup. I thought he looked very poised for a, um, you know, for a young defenseman in the league. And I don't know if he's necessarily ready for a top four defense role, but I do think he's getting to the point now where he, you know, he's proven to Barry Trotz that he can handle playing in the top six regularly. Um Maybe that's just my take on it. I, I again, I don't know if he's necessarily ready for a top uh, top four role, although I do think he would fit in pretty well with Scott Mayfield. Finally, the last thing I want to go over here, maybe I mean, you know this might not be the the answer that some Islander fans want to hear, but I think Devon Tra- Devon Tra- Devon Tades. Uh, Devon Taves actually got the most value out of any islander blue liner that had the potential to be traded. You know, we were talking about potentially trading a Johnny Boychuk. We were talking about trading Nick Letty. And, you know, maybe this was the best that Lou could get. I mean, I recently saw a quote on Twitter that said, you know, this wasn't the move that Lou Lamarillo necessarily wanted to make. But Mm -hmm. Joe Sackick from the Colorado Avalanche wanted Devontae's. And I guess in Lou's mind, those two second round picks were something that they couldn't pass up. And... You know, Ryan, we 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 just wanna talk about this quickly here because you know we're um we're going on over an hour of recording now. Um you look at the two second round picks the Islanders get back in a trade like this. You look at some of the bad contracts that the Islanders have on the team right now. Immediately three contracts to me anyway come to mind. Andrew Ladd, Johnny Boychuk, and Leo Komarov. Mm-hmm. Out of those three contracts, who would you try to move first? And if you are trying to move them, would you use one second-round pick? Would you possibly chip them both in there? Who are you moving first, and how many second-round picks are you trading out of the two? I'd say the first person I'd trade is... Probably um, like Boychuk, right?
0: I, I'd say Boychuk, yeah. I'd say Boychuck, because Lad's contract is harder to move. Lad has no
1: value to him. At least Boychuk can actually contribute something to an NHL
0: lineup. Yeah, that's exactly where I was gonna go with it. Boychuk can contribute a lot to a team looking for a solid defensive defenseman, and if they have the cap space to keep him, they're gonna get a lot of usage out of him. Lad is is way too difficult to move. Like we tried to trade him for Parise, but then we would have to send over Kiefer Bellows and like a first round pick, and there was like that's when we were like in the hunt for Parise during the uh, trade deadline. But just you look at just like just how that trade went. It was just, or like, you know, you look at trying to trade Boychuk, it's a lot easier. So you definitely have to try and use those second round picks uh, alongside Boychuck and hopefully don't give up any prospects since Lou likes to work internally rather than externally. And the thing with, uh, you know, with Lad, that's just, it's just a nightmare to try and get rid of. So I don't even know what you do in that situation real, realistically. I just, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get rid of them. Like, it's just, hey, that's for, for Lou to really, you know, figure out.
1: Well, that's for Lou to figure out and for us to wonder. And now you're looking at, you know, I think my next topic here, you have to move one of those contracts. Ideally, it would be Johnny Boychuk because he makes the most money, but that's beside the point. How do the Islanders, I I think we all know at this point, the Islanders need help scoring goals. This isn't a shock to me. It shouldn't be a shock to you. It shouldn't be a shock to any of you out there listening. The Islanders need to do something in order to bolster their top six, and they need to add someone who can score goals. Mm-hmm. That being said, you have two routes you can go here, right? You have the free agency route, who, you know, I mean, a lot of people might not want him, but Mike Hoffman is one of the best goal-scoring wingers in the NHL. He could really help the Islanders if they were to sign him. Mm-hmm. The other way you can look at this is making a trade. I know a lot of Islander fans were talking about uh, a certain Finnish uh, winger from the Winnipeg Jets by the name of Patrick Laine. I wish. I want to put those rumors to bed. We are not getting Patrick Laine. Nope, we are not. Like,
0: okay, supposedly the talks from
1: Winnipeg, they want Pulak, they want probably a guy like Brock Nelson, and they would want a draft pick too. That is yeah. way too much to give up, especially considering the Islanders don't have anyone to replace a guy like Brock Nelson or a guy to replace like Ryan Pulock. Mm-hmm. I think one winger here. Um, you know, and again, I, I just briefly want to, um, you know, take your opinion on this. What would you think of a possible Kyle Palmieri trade to the Islanders? I think that you can move? You can move. Maybe Johnny Boychuk, you can move. I don't know who else you would move in that deal. Ideally, you could take a Leo Komarov because the Devils are a team that should be utilizing their cap space. And by taking on these bad contracts, you gain assets. So, I mean, in my mind, a Boychuk, Komarov, and you throw in maybe one or two of those second round picks that you got from Colorado and a prospect in there. I think that gets that the job done for Paul Murray What do you think? Well, do you even want Palmieri first? Is what I mean. What I'm trying that's, to ask.
0: That, that that one is just like one that you that has been thrown around a lot. And At this point, like I'm I'm open to the idea, but at, at the same time, it, it depends on what we would have to give up. Right. And we have to look at it in the sense that these are our division rivals, and I know me personally, like maybe this is obviously I'm a franchise mode GM when I play NHL, so you know. I'm not a real general manager. I'm just, you know, I'm an at home general manager. I'm a couch What is it like a chair manager or whatever? I don't even know what you call it, like a couch manager. But, like, I really don't like having to trade with uh, division rivals because it could always come back to bite you worse than trading with anyone outside your division.
1: But well, I don't know I if mean, a Boychuck and Komarov trade would necessarily come back to bite the islanders. I'm
0: okay with. I mean, I'm okay they're. Because apparently Jersey has interest in Komarov. If they're willing to take him, then go for it. That's $3 million right.
1: gone. He would get like top six minutes in New Jersey, so like I'm not. No, the double We don't really mean that kind of. No, Brian, didn't. continue. But Paul Mary,
0: I like Paul Mary. I mean, I think he had a. He's had a. He had a great season uh, with 45 points in 65 games played, and obviously, I mean, you put him. You can put him on a, You can put him on any line, first line, second line. Like you can. You can fit him anywhere into the ro- into the roster, and I think he would definitely fit, and I think he would definitely help boost our team as a whole in terms of scoring and, um, you know, uh, you know, getting like being a playmaker, but it, it depends on what they would want for him. Cause Kyle Palmieri, uh, he, he is 29 years old, so he's young. Uh, his contract situation. I have to quickly look into his contract because you don't want to take another bad
1: contract on top of, you know, everything else. I'm almost so positive. I want to say he's a his, free agent next year. I'm pretty his, sure that's his. According Sorry. to.
0: I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not 100% sure. I just, I had to pull it up real quick, but, uh, the thing with this set, so he, he's, yeah, he's a free agent in 2021 and he has a, uh, his salary is four million six hundred fifty. so if you want to trade for him, then I guess that's the idea, but I think it would have to be like a, uh, a Pajot situation where you immediately sign him to an extension because I, I mean, I would want him. But I'm afraid that we would it would just be, become a rental and we would lose him after the season if he doesn't like playing with us. I don't you know.
1: Well but, here's I mean, here's another thing that we sure. could get into though. If we're not talking about trading for him this offseason, do you possibly just let the season play out and then you look into him if he does decide to leave the Devils? I think if he leaves the Devils in free agency, the Islanders should be one of the first teams available talking to him. That's oh, just yes. my opinion anyway. If he goes to free agency, I think Kyle Palmieri is a very intriguing name. I think he's very similar to a guy that, um, you know, for those of you who know me personally, I was really high on Tyler Toffoli. I really wanted Tyler yep. Toffoli to come to the Islanders. And, you know, uh, Ryan can uh, can vouch for me on this one. Mm. Um, you know, Montreal got him for a steal of a contract. And, you know, it's similar to what Palmieri making now. Although I would have to believe that, Paul Mary would possibly want to raise, um, you know, if he does decide to leave New Jersey next offseason. I could see him looking for $6 million, but that's why it just makes it so much more critical now that we move the bad contracts. Now, if you're able to move a Johnny Boychuk, if you're able to move an Andrew Ladd, a Leo Komarov, you have to take advantage of that. And you, you have to move them now because otherwise it's going to come back to bite you. It's already biting us now, but it's gonna come back to bite you later down the line. So mm-hmm. Brian, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. I think we got oh, through yeah. everything that we wanted to to talk t- uh to talk about anyway. Um, do you have any last episode. minute I would say so, yeah. Uh do you have any last minute thoughts before we go ahead and wrap today's episode up?
0: Uh I mean there's not really much I have to say. I mean, you know, uh, other than this season was an absolute success and I'm so happy with how we did. And that, you know, the Devon Chase trade, although we didn't want to do it, it may have been a necessary move. We may have had he may have had to have been the you know, the last you know, the last the uh somewhere I'm looking for the uh the last straw or like the last stand, you know, it was like the last ditch effort to kinda of help and relieve some cap space. I mean, if you wanna look at the positive. If he gets a lot in arbitration, at least we don't have to pay it. <laughs> I mean I feel like it's one of those things we'll have to wait for the arbitration day to see how much that trade was worth it. But you know, Uh, hopefully we get a really good trade in the next couple days, weeks, question mark? I don't know. Uh, I guess we just gotta wait and see. That's all
1: we can do. We just gotta wait and see. Well, I am very excited to wait and see what the rest of the offseason brings, and I'm sure that I will be following the speculation pretty much every day, as long as it, uh, you know, doesn't sound too unrealistic anyway, but, Mm -hmm. um... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Four Stripes on Ice. If you guys want to keep up to what we're doing on social media, we have an Instagram account. Be sure to go give us a follow there, at Four Stripes on Ice. We post graphics, we post Islanders news, and we really want to get our fan engagement up. So let us know what you guys want to see in the future. We were thinking about doing a potential um, series where we do different grades based on how players did in the regular season and the playoffs. So if that's something you guys want to see, be sure to hit us with a uh, DM or even just message one of the three of us individually. Um, So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, rest of your offseason for that matter. And let's go, Islanders. Yes, yes, yes.